Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, faithful? Al Sacco and Zane Nackby back after a little bit of a layoff with the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle podcast. And this is one of my favorite shows of the year because this is our draft special, and that's going to be the focus of this show. And similar to last year, Zane and I are going to do a complete seven-round mock draft. But this time around, we're actually adding in another co-host, and it's going to be one of our fellow Web Zone writers, Aaron Erickson. And we also, we had a guest planned for today. It was going to be Tony Pauline. He's an NFL draft analyst and his website is draftanalyst.com. It's a great site. We were looking forward to having Tony on, but we actually had some, some complications on our end and we had to reschedule with him. So we apologize to Tony for that, but there's still a lot of show here with the seven round mock draft that we're going to do with Zane, Aaron, and myself. And the third co-host is something that we're trying this time around and we're going to do it here and there. It's not something that we're going to do regularly but definitely a little bit moving forward. And the reason we want to do that is because there are so many good 49ers writers and personalities out there that aren't, and I don't really want to necessarily use the word mainstream, but you know, they aren't quite Matt Mayoko or Matt Barrows. They're more like Zane and myself where they're more, you know, smaller time guys who you may not be really familiar with, but they're doing such a great job. And, and we really want to showcase them on our show and hear what they have to say. So Aaron's going to be helping us out today. And actually, for the show that we're going to do after the draft, we review all the Niners picks and talk about how they fit in and all that sort of thing. We're pretty pumped up. We're going to have our, our buddy Dylan DeSimone, who, who runs the 4th and 9 website, and he's going to help Zane and I um, review review all the picks and go over that. So that's going to be a lot of fun, too. So we're excited. So Aaron's going to help us today, and then Dylan for the show after the draft. And, and I'm excited for you guys to hear our picks. A lot of fun stuff planned. So here we go with our seven-round mock. It's... Al, Zane, and Aaron Erickson, our colleague. Aaron, what's up, man? Hey, man. Uh, excited to be here. Uh, it's going to be fun talking football with you guys. 49ers draft season is here, and uh, couldn't be more pumped. This is like Christmas time, guys, right? The draft? It is. Yeah. Is there yeah, any more exciting time this year? Other than the season, this is like the most exciting time. Like when it's draft day, it just, it, it just feels like Christmas to me. Yeah, and this year, like they've got nine picks and got a top 10 pick, and there's going to be a lot of guys available at that position because the early run on quarterbacks is going to basically push all the other position players down the first round of the draft. And, and we'll get into that when we, when we give our picks. But Al, I, I'm in total agreement with you. This, this is one of the most exciting off seasons that I've been a part of in, in recent memory with the 49ers. Obviously, they've struggled, but, you know, this is one of those times when 49er fans can really look for the team to, to, pick up some of those impact players. Some of those guys that you've been talking about on Twitter that can have that all pro kind of team cornerstone potential. Yeah. And there's, there's so many options there at the number nine pick, especially with, with the number of quarterbacks that are expected to go in the first five or six picks or whatever it is. And, and we're going to go through all that with you. And, and for those of you who may not have listened last year, it's going to be similar to what we did. It's actually the second annual mock draft. Zane and I did one of these last year. And what we'll do is we're just going to go round by round and each of us are going to give you our picks. If we do any trades, who we think will be a good fit and why and that sort of thing. And we'll go, you know, round one, round two, and all the way through the draft. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And hey, Aaron, man, why don't you kick us off? Who do you got for the first round for the Niners? Uh, this is tough for me because uh, because of the run on quarterbacks you mentioned, uh, my favorite player in the entire draft might be available, and I don't want to pick him. <laughs> uh, Quentin, 
Quentin Nelson is a monster. I've heard people say he's too big to play in this scheme, but he moves. He moves incredibly well. He is a he is a dominant, dominant guard, but he's a guard. And uh, I don't want them to pick him because I don't think they'll pay him when his five years are up. And I don't want to see him go. So I want them to uh, I want them to pick Harold Landry uh, out of Boston College. I think he's uh, I think he's a prototypical Leo. Um, his uh, his get off is outstanding. His bend is ridiculous. Uh, the big knock on him is that he doesn't use enough counter moves. But if you dig deep, uh, you see a great stab when he converts speed to power. You see uh, an effective, not not explosive, but an effective inside counter. And he, he just didn't use them a lot. And I don't know if that was scheme or if he was saying why why go to the counters when the when the edge rush is working. But his uh, his production in 2016 was insane. Uh, the 49ers have proven with guys like C.J. Beathard that they're willing to uh, to look past your most recent season and see if their athletic traits are showing up in their best season. So he was he was beat up in 2017. He was double teamed a lot, and uh, you go back to 2016 and you see the most dominant edge rusher in college football, and I think that's who they get. I was a Tremaine Edmonds guy until I saw your post about Harold Landry, Harold Landry on Twitter. And since that time, this is probably about, I would say it's probably about two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. And we've been kind of like, I've been asking you questions about him. And, I, and the first question I think I asked you was, was, do you feel like he's too raw? So do you feel like he's, he's got some, some more development to do? Um, I think he needs to develop greater violence in his hands. Um, his, his hand placement is good. His upper body strength is good. Um, but he's, he's a pusher instead of a puncher right now. And defensive line play really is all about that violence. Um, you don't want to get into a pushing match with a guy who outweighs you by 70 to 80 pounds. So you got to punch him. And I think that's probably the easiest aspect of D line technique to work on. Um, you do some off season, MMA or boxing training, you really work on hand placement and strike mechanics and things like that. And I, I think he could be a lot better um, before he even shows up to training camp. And he knows it. Uh, that was the really cool thing is he, he came out and talked about the cone drills he ran to develop that bend that looks so natural and makes him look so gifted. And, and we find out that that's actually a trait he acquired through work. So that's pretty amazing. And, and to see that he could do something as difficult and rare as that with work, I think if he gets with somebody who can drill his hands, um, he'll, he'll acquire that really quickly. And that's, that's the biggest thing is if he was more explosive with his hands, that inside counter would pop. Um, and that, that's, that's the big deal. What worries me about Landry and listen, if, if he's a 10 sack dominant edge rusher, obviously th- that's a no brainer. Cause that's what the Niners need. I think for me, what would worry me about that pick is if he's not that guy and I think there's some questions with that. And if if you pass up on players, and there's going to be so many good players there at nine that are going to be pro bowlers, all pros for sure. You know, they just have their ceiling is is very high and and there's no risk factor with them. I worry about passing up on a guy like that just to get a need if they're not completely sold on Landry. And and that's my why my first round pick is and I listen, I've been talking about him for the last month or so is Roquan Smith. To me, I just think at that point, he'll be the best player available. I love Smith, and I understand there's some knocks on him about his size and tackling and things like that. But to me, he's a linebacker for 
the modern game. And listen, this isn't 10, 15 years ago when you needed this huge linebacker to hit the hole and, and take on a fullback and that sort of thing. You know, you need quicker players now to play in, in the passing game. And I, I think Smith gets a bad rap too with tackling. I mean, listen, he, he only missed two tackles in the run game all of last season. And okay, if he's a little bit on the smaller side, he has trouble shedding blocks. Well, you know, it's up to D line to kind of keep him clean. And to me, I, I just think he can come in for the Niners and, and start at will. And listen, I'm not worried about Malcolm Smith. I don't, I don't care about Malcolm Smith. The type of player that I think Roquan Smith can be, put him in. I think he's a 10-year Pro Bowl type player. You put him next to Ruben Foster, you have another dominant linebacker pairing, in my view. And to me, he, he's a, he's a plug-and-play Pro Bowler. And I can't see the Niners passing up on a guy like that who can really be one of the cornerstones of their defense for the next 10 years. I think that Roquan Smith, if the 49ers don't draft uh, Harold Landry, and and I'll give my reasons for the pick in a second, but if they don't draft him, I, Roquan Smith has to be the guy. And for, for those reasons and more, it's not just about doubling up on positions. It's it's also about being able to have a really dominant position group. And there's there's one theme that you'll see with most championship teams. They'll have either a really elite quarterback, like a Hall of Fame quarterback, or they'll have a dominant one really dominant position group, or they'll have both. So I think that if they can get Roquan Smith, he'll, he'll be available at nine. I, I, there's no doubt that he'll be available at nine unless somebody, somebody else jumps up and, and gets them out of the 49ers. But uh, he'll be gone by 10 for sure, because I think the Raiders will, they're in, de- they're in desperate need of linebacking help, so they'll pick him. But Roquan Smith, he, like, he just jumps off the tape. And he doesn't come with the off-field concerns that Reuben Foster has. Like You can't... Like I'll remember last year we were talking about Ruben Foster at this time and we were just kind of just like salivating over the thought of him being drafted by the 49ers and he was. Yep. We wanted to take him at number two. But I don't think you can count on Ruben Foster for anything anymore because he keeps getting in trouble. And I think that the team knows that. Jed York said as much that basically this is this is Ruben Foster's pretty much last first and last chance. And they've they've done this whole song and dance with Alden Smith before and they don't want they don't want to go through it again. So it's it's kind of a two-pronged thing. Not only are you getting a great player, Roquan Smith, but you're also giving yourself an insurance policy at a position. It is a position of need, let's face it. Like Brock Coyle is going to start at this point, but really we don't know beyond this year what's going to happen with Reuben Foster. I think it's completely fair to, to hedge your bets on Reuben Foster. And I think Roquan Smith is a beast. I mean, watching him close uh, from between the hashes to tackle down on the sideline, is, it's, it's awesome. Uh, you know, it's it's it, it it reminds you of the linebackers we had here uh, just a few short years ago before the dark days returned. <laughs> but uh, I I have a lot of linebackers I like in this draft. Um, I don't have a lot of edge rushers. I, I have a I have a couple that I'm excited about, um, and I have a few that I think could be really really interesting projects later on. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think they definitely need to do something with that spot, and I think Rokon Smith is going to be a very good player in the league. I, I'm not as concerned about his his tackle shedding issues. Um, I wouldn't put him as a three four inside linebacker, where he has to protect himself a lot of the time. I think playing behind uh, Mitchell and Buckner, uh, he's going to be pretty clean on his way to most tackles. Um, so yeah, I, I think he could be a hell of a call, uh, hell of a pick. So my first round pick, I, I kind of spoiled it, but my first round pick, uh, like Aaron, is Harold Landry, and I just think that for for my reason, my reasoning for that is it's not necessarily out of position of need. It kind of is. I mean, they they don't really have a, a full time starter besides Cassius Marsh and and Jeremiah Tochu, but they 
can impact a game more by having an elite pass rusher than they can by drafting like a safety or a corner or something like that. And I'll get to that in a second. But the, the whole idea is that if you look at the elite defenses of the last five years, Seattle, who's been a stalwart in that department for the, for the last five years by themselves, and then Denver was up there for a little bit, and now Jacksonville, what do they all have in common? Of course, they have good defensive back play, but all of that starts up front. All of them have really, really fierce pass rushes. They all have good pass rushers. And if you j- just look at Jacksonville this year. They led the league in sacks. They had a great defense. Uh, before that, Denver had Vaughn Miller uh, come close to breaking the record in sacks. And of course, Seattle had Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill averaging 10 sacks a year on, uh, each on both sides of the ball, on both sides of the defensive line. So if you draft a, a generational pass rusher or a pass rusher who can really disrupt things in the backfield, that makes everybody else better. That throws off the timing for the quarterback. That doesn't allow them to allocate blockers up the middle for the Forrest Buckner. And I think Solomon Thomas will probably play beside him at some point. That'll allow them to bring more pressure up the middle. That'll give the, the, the corners less time that they need to cover because the quarterback will have to get it out faster. Like it changes the whole outlook of a defense when you draft a, when you draft a really good pass rusher. And you don't necessarily have to have to put Harold Landry in like on every down. You can have him in on those sub packages, like much like they had with Alden Smith. And I think Aaron, you mentioned that uh, on Twitter. And I was I was nodding right. my head as I as I was reading that. And you can put him in those sub packages where he can come in on pass rushing downs. Yeah, I, I think honestly, um, he doesn't have to be a Pro Bowler or an All Pro in his first couple of years to make a huge impact on the defense because of the studs that you talked about on the interior. I mean, they have a. They have a three-man rotation um, rushing from those tackle positions in uh, Buckner and Thomas and Armstead uh, if they're able to move Armstead inside because they acquire a dangerous edge rusher. And with his ability to get off the ball and bend that edge, if he's not getting home, the quarterback is stepping forward. And if the quarterback is stepping forward into those monsters that the 49ers have in place – um, he's going to make them into all pros. I mean, DeForest Buckner should be a pro bowler, but how many times does he destroy the pocket and the quarterback's gone because there was nothing containing him from the outside, nothing making him step up, nothing threatening him from the edge. And so getting that play in and play out heat on the quarterback around his backside um, is, is really going to help the interior rush get home. And then that, in turn, will start to make a quarterback, the quarterback step back, the quarterback get happy feet. He starts throwing up uh, balls that are going to be intercepted or should be intercepted. And he's staying back a little bit longer. And now Landry starts to get home. And I touched a little bit on the defensive backs and safeties that are mocked to go to the 49ers. And a lot of mocks have Minka Fitzpatrick going to the Niners and some have Derwin James, both safeties, both different types of safeties. Fitzpatrick's more the free safety. Derwin James is the end of box, strong safety. And uh, Denzel Ward as well, the corner, top corner of the draft. I don't think any of those guys are going to the Niners. Uh, I think this this is a smokescreen. I was totally wrong last year, Al, with this and, and Aaron, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that, that uh, this year... They, there's there is no reason why you should be like tripling up on the safeties right now. Jaquaski Tart's there. Adrian Colbert is, I think, going to be really really good at that position because he has elite range and he's got the ability to separate the ball from the receiver. 
So I think that he's he's earned another shot there. I don't think you just replace him. Plus, he's a seventh round pick, right? There's the the long term cap ramifications of having a seventh round pick start there versus a first rounder. It's it's going to be significant. So I think that they they this whole Fitzpatrick thing, like he was in earlier this week on Monday and Tuesday, in for for a two day visit. Actually, I just think they're doing their homework. I don't think Denzel Ward's a fit. He's only five ten, and the physicality that he brings. I, I look at his tape and I'm like. Uh, that's a penalty. Uh, that's a penalty. I'll probably call that. Like, it's just you can't make up for length. And in Robert Sala's scheme, you have to have a certain amount of length to be able to play it. Which is why the, both of the corners that are starting, or presumably starting when Sherman gets gets back, are six six foot three. And at five foot ten, Denzel Ward, you can't like he can't make up for the lack of length with any amount of physicality. I just don't see the fit. And people talking about him playing in the slot and Minka Fitzpatrick being drafted and playing that you're not going to draft a guy at number nine overall to play in the slot. I'm not saying that K1 Williams is untouchable, but there's a reason why they resigned him and people point to the Kilgore thing. And like, well, they're like, well, will they resign Kilgore? And they got rid of him. Kilgore was not a John Lynch guy. He was a bulky guy. He was from the previous regime. There was no attachment with him. Plus they upgraded anyway. So uh, there's no reason to draft a, a number nine uh, slot corner. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, the one thing with safety, though, that maybe this is a conspiracy theory thing, but you mentioned, you know, them being bulky guys. Well, two of the safeties are in the last year of their contracts right now. Jimmy Ward and, and Joukowsky Tart are bulky guys, too. And listen, Tart had a really nice season last year for the nine games that he played, but he didn't do much before then. And, you know, he did get hurt last year. So this is a huge year for them. And, and I, I really thought going into this offseason that he'd be somebody they'd look to extend, and they haven't done that yet. So again, I'm I'm not saying they're gonna go in that direction. I'm not saying they're displeased with Tart. They they could they could love Tart. You know, I, I certainly like him as a player. But the fact that he's in that last year of his contract to me, that's sort of a red flag right now. That I'm kind of like, well, do they have something up their sleeve? But you know, we'll have to see how that plays out. But all right, moving on, Aaron. Second round. What do you got? I'm I'm double dipping on edge rushers. Um, I'm going with Albania Okronkwo out of Oklahoma, uh, not just because I want to hear you guys have to say it every week. Um, <laughs> he is probably my favorite edge rusher to watch in this draft. I don't think he's the athlete that Landry is, uh, but his setup is great. He, ha- he has a game plan. He-, he beats you to the outside, and then he throws an outside jab step and murders you to the inside. With violent hands or a quick spin move, I hate spin moves um, before you get to the quarterback's depth. It's, uh, it's something that I would, I would coach out of a player whenever possible, but he wins with it. Um, he gets a little bit off balance. Uh, he's only six foot one. He's not going to be a fit for a lot of teams because of his height weight profile, but he has 34 inch arms at six foot one, which makes him a leverage monster. Um, he has, Great change of direction skill. He could play Sam. He could drop into coverage. He's instantly a three-down player at uh, at Sam and then walking down to edge rusher. Um, I think we need an upgrade at that position, and I think having two dangerous edge rushers um, is probably the greatest improvement that could be made to the defense right now. Aaron, you want all the sacks. I mean, you're doubling down <laughs> right now, dude. Yeah, yeah. Don't need anyone to cover if the quarterback can't stand. That's that's a good point. <laughs> you, you know, 
they certainly need a pass rush. One of the, the positions that has me worried is, is guard right now. And I don't really like the approach they seem to be taking where they're just kind of throwing things at a wall and seeing what sticks. You know, Tomlinson played a little bit better towards the end of last season. But then you sign Cooper and Josh Garnett. You know, Matt Mayoko said, you know, if, if they get anything out of him, it's a plus. We like Eric Magnuson as, as a backup across that offensive line who can play multiple positions, but I don't really see a guard that they can trust right now. And that makes me think that they have someone in mind early in the draft. And and I agree with you on the Quentin Nelson thing. I, I don't think, I love Quentin Nelson. I, I don't think he's going to be there. And I also don't, don't know that they would spend a first round pick on a guard that high, but I really like Austin Corbett. Um, and I, I think he's a guy that could fit really well into this system. You know, he played tackle in college, but he can move inside and play guard and really feel like he can start right away. And he's a, he's a Kyle Shanahan kind of guy where I think he can move and fit really well into that system. And it's certainly a position in need, Zane. And I feel like that's a really good pick for them in the second round. Real quick, before I get my pick, uh, Okronkwo, Aaron, he he shared all, all Big 12 uh, Defensive Player of the Year uh, with Malik Jefferson, didn't he? Yeah, I mean that's that's big time. Yeah, that's yeah. that's big time. That conference is 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 elite. That there's elite talent there. There's a lot of good recruits there, and uh, the fact that he was able to win defensive player of the year or share it uh, with the with the player of the caliber of uh, caliber of Jefferson, who is also considered an elite talent, it's it's that that's huge to me. No, no, for sure. Um, Al, uh, speaking to your point on Corbett, um, I, I completely agree. I had. Uh, Picks 59, 70, and 74 smushed together uh, because uh, there's, three pit, there's three picks within 15 slots. Um, I, I, I think he's a stud, too. Um, so it's just another scenario where but if you can't get Corbett, um, if he's not there later on in, in the early third round, um, maybe you get a Braden Smith. Maybe you wait a little while and you get a Wyatt mm-hmm. Teller. Um, there's, there's some guys I'm really excited about the guards in this draft. I mean, there's, there's some guys who play with a, uh, a very aggressive disposition. There's some technicians. There's a lot of guys that can really move. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm all about Corbett as well. I just, uh, I saw Okoronko sitting there and I thought, I can't, I can't not. (laughs) (laughs) I like their strategy, dude. You know, get bring those edge rushers in. Nothing wrong with that. And my so my pick, guys, is going to be Austin Corbett as well. So Al, we matched up on this one. So now either both of us is going to be right, or neither of us is going to be right <laughs> at this point. <laughs> and uh, he's he's six four three oh five. You put him nineteen reps on the bench press, and he he could be a little bit stronger. I think that that's what the general consensus is around the league amongst scouts and their whole thing is that he's one of those technicians that that Aaron was talking about he's one of those guys that can do everything well and can play at a pro bowl level and he's got versatility too he's he's obviously uh, you know his his main position is guard but he also started 12 games at tackle in his college career so he can he can flip over to tackle as well if because of injuries for whatever reason and some people even see him as a center long term so this is a guy that that is one of those elite guards in this draft that can also play other offensive line positions. And right away, like like you don't like you said earlier, Al, you don't want to be picking for need, but this is such a glaring need right now. Like your franchise, your franchise is Jimmy Garoppolo. And there's very little protection for him at the guard spots. It's just basically like a like a a, a by committee sort of thing. 
And if you get Austin Corbett, you immediately have a guy who can start from day one and can play either guard spot, also fill in at tackle, also fill in at center as well if Weston Richburg goes down. So Austin Corbett is my second round pick. Aaron, I'm going to guess that you didn't go with another edge rusher for the third round. <laughs> well, you always need depth. No, uh, <laughs> no I, uh, I, I picked a name. Uh, I think you guys might like this player. Um, I've heard you talk about him a little bit, actually fairly recently. Uh, at pick 70, I went with Austin Corbett uh, <laughs> playing nice. guard at a Nevada. Uh, I, I think um, th- this is an uncommon year for uh guards but i just i don't see five going in the first two rounds um Mm -hmm. i i think he's going to be there there's the conversion to tackle he played tackle he had some leverage issues at tackle uh that could be tied to upper body strength it could be tied to his core strength um he's susceptible to an aggressive hump move he doesn't distribute his weight back against counters as quickly as he should and i think a lot of that is just it's core strength. I think he needs a little bit of time to develop physically to to work against those really good defensive tackles that we're going to see in the NFC West. Um, and so I think I think there's a little bit of concern about some of those developmental things. I don't think he's going to fit most power teams, so that limits him to outside zone teams if he's going to start right away. And I think that allows him to drop a little bit. And, uh, I mean, what is he, 6'4", 305, something like that? Yep. yep. Um, mm-hmm. So he's, he's a big, long dude, and I think he's going to have some of the same issues we saw from DeForest Buckner as a rookie, where he looked great, he looked great, and then he stood up, and he'd go for about a four- or five-yard ride. Well, fortunately, as a guard, you don't get double teamed, um, mm-hmm. so we won't see him get pushed back four or five yards, hopefully, but I think we will see his rookie year, he's going to struggle a little bit with that leverage until he really gets in there and they grind on that lower pad level and, and you see a year or two like, like Buckner had. Um, but yeah, I think he's a, he's a four-year starter after coming in as a walk-on. He was a captain as a redshirt sophomore. I mean, he's, he's just that dude. And his punch, he's, he's not trying to stop your momentum. He's trying to stop your heart. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he wants you to know who hit you. And, uh, I think, I think we've kind of lamented the lack of nastiness across the 49ers offensive line for some time. And I think he's the type of person who could, who could help bring that back. I love, I love Austin Corbett. I love watching his tape. I love, I love the idea of him being on the 49ers. I think he's, he's a really good fit. If you look at, Kyle Shanahan slash Mike Shanahan, their scheme with their offensive linemen, there's one commonality with them. There's one common thing. They always have offensive linemen that are not too big. They're they're big guys, but they're not like 330 pounds. They're guys that are quick. They're guys that can pull. They're guys that can move. They're athletic. They're long. They're lean. They're guys that can get out and throw blocks in space because they ask more of their offensive linemen than the the average offensive coordinator does and head coach does. So I think that Corbett is a, is a great fit. Now it's interesting that you mentioned that the, the 49ers have the, the three picks within, within the 15 picks there. And I think that's important to note because I'm kind of thinking that they may trade up into the earlier part of the second round. If there's somebody that they like, or even into the first round with, with a package of some of these picks, they could even trade back from the first round uh, from number nine, because Buffalo is sitting there at 12. They're in need of a quarterback. 
Niners could possibly pick up number 12 plus more picks. So there, there are many trade scenarios that we're not necessarily proposing here that could go down. And I think that one may go down um, within these, these 15 picks where the 49ers can move up. Um, or they may try to move back if they get their guy and, and pick up net more picks for next year. So uh, I just want to throw that out there and, 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 you know, don't be surprised if that happens. Oh, for sure. I see uh, Isaiah Oliver being a big target if they do that. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think there's much likelihood he makes it down to 59, but he's, he'd be a perfect fit um, at corner, especially if there's any concerns whatsoever about Richard Sherman's recovery. Because I don't know who else you have to play the other corner right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like Maven, but I don't think they love him. Yeah, you can't count on him to come in and start. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now, I actually thought about a cornerback here, but I had to address the edge position. You know, I actually went with a guy who I don't know where he's going to go. I have n- no idea what to expect in terms of what teams think of him, if they think he's a second-round guy, a third-round guy, but I went with Josh Sweat out of Florida yeah. State. Yeah, and. I, I like him as a, as a player, but he's had, I know he's had these knee injuries and he's an explosive guy. He's six, five, he's two fifty one. Um, he had 12 and a half tackles for a loss and five and a half sacks in his uh, junior season. Really athletic guy. I think the upside is there. He's got to grow. You know, I, I don't think he's anywhere near the player that he, he can be, but listen, the Niners got to get pressure from somewhere. And, and they took a chance on, you know, Atachu in they have Cassius Marsh, but they haven't had a player get double digit sacks since Alden Smith. And last season, Elvis Dumerville led the team with six and a half. Nobody else had more than three. So pressure is great and everything like that, but eventually you got to get home and sure. They can find a nice fit at some point in the draft for edge, but as much as you don't want to draft for need and you do want to take best player available, I really think guard and edge are positions they should try to address within those first three rounds somewhere. And, and Sweat's a guy for me I really liked. And, and again, there's there's not a lot there competition-wise. He can come in even if it's just as a situational role as a rookie and sort of develop and grow into to a bigger role as the years go on. The 49ers have kind of spent a lot of time with Josh Sweat. They really have. And the reason why I was like saying yeah is because I, I love that pick. I love, I love Josh Sweat. I think that he would be a great fit here. I think that he would be one of those guys that, that like you said, that could start as a rotational sort of pass rusher and then come in on a full-time basis if he's able to stay healthy. But I, I think that they see that too. They spent a lot of time with him at, at the combine and that they had a private workout with him as well. And it was just one of those things where, where I think that at some point within the first three rounds, they will have to address edge rusher. Like there's no, there's no doubt about it. They have a starting caliber player at every single position except for edge rusher. And that's not, that's not a get a knock against Cassius Marsh or uh, Jeremiah Tashi. That's just, that's just how it is. Like both of those guys were kind of like part-time guys, like situational pass rushers. And they were very good in those situations, but can you get a guy that can be out there every down potentially? And I think that Josh sweat is one of those guys. Well, yeah, he certainly doesn't lack for toughness. I mean, they, uh, they had him rush from uh, defensive tackle several times at uh, Florida state. And he, he did a pretty good job. I think um, that gives teams a little bit of pause uh, besides the knee injuries. They, they have to look at, you know, how developed is he going to be as an edge rusher? If he spent all that time uh, rushing from a three technique, but that's what allows him to possibly be available at this, this spot. And I, and I agree. There's no, with his testing and with the way some teams draft on potential instead of production, it, it, 
I wouldn't be shocked if he goes at the top of the second round, but with his health concerns and with his developmental needs as a player, I wouldn't be surprised if he's picked somewhere at the end of day two. He's, he's really a wild card. And I do have to say, Zane, before before you give your pick, um, my first three picks, and I'm sure some listeners may have caught of this, were the exact same as Dylan DeSimone <laughs> in um, the mock-up that he did. And I actually tweeted at him. We were going back and forth and messaging each other. I'm like, dude, I read your article, and I have the same three picks for the show. I'm like, so get ready for that. So if anybody's listening to this and is like, Ali, the same thing as Dylan, we're both completely aware of that. But, you know, what great minds think alike, you know? So, but yeah, I didn't rip Dylan off. I swear to God. <laughs> I actually messaged. I privately messaged him. I was like, "Hey, man, that's that's actually probably the best mock draft I've seen. Uh, <laughs> probably better than my my mock draft I'm up to, about to put out there too." But it was it was really good. So, um, what's his Twitter handle? What is it? Fourth and nine, I think is the, is his uh, is is the Twitter handle. Um, that's follow? for his that's for his website. Let me see what Dylan's is. Yeah, because Dylan Dylan is a great follow as well on Twitter. And let me see what it's actually just at Dylan A D Simone is him and then his the twitter for his site is at fourth and nine yeah cool so yeah give give dylan a follow give him say what's up to him and uh and uh, check out his mock draft definitely my third round pick would be rashad penny the running back out of san diego state uh he stands at 511 220 ran a 446 in the 40 he only put up 13 reps of the bench at the combine so he does lack a little bit of upper body strength but i think a little bit of nfl conditioning and the, and the whole diet change and things like that and and the trainers will be able to put a little bit of bulk and, and strength on him he had 2248 yards rushing on 289 attempts in 2017 so that's 7.8 yards per carry which is really impressive and he scored 23 touchdowns as well so he's a guy that can also catch out of the backfield too so he had just over 400 yards receiving in his career at San Diego State. And he played beside uh, Donnell Pumphrey. If you guys remember, he broke the record for rushing in NCAA, and he subsequently got drafted. So I think that versatility, uh, plus the fact that he's a tad bit bigger than what they have now. I believe McKinnon is, is 210 or 215, and Matt Breida is 190. So he's, he's along the same mold, but just a little bit bigger. And I think that uh, there is a need there because they don't know what they're getting out of Joe Williams. So my first third round pick is Rashad Penny. All right, Aaron, what did you follow up with for your, for your second round third for your second third round pick? My second third round pick is Gennard Avery. Uh, he is a linebacker out of Memphis. Um, I have him as a Mike, but he projects as a Sam as well because they bounced him out and used him as an edge rusher and an edge defender at times. Um, this kid is a fire plug and he can fly. I, I like him a lot. He's, uh, six foot one, 255, runs a four, five, nine, 40, did a 6.93 cone, um, 26 reps on the bench, 124 inch broad jump. And, uh, he, he's just a stud. I'm going to, I'm going to throw some numbers at you real quick. Um, 14 tackles for loss, 6.5 sacks. One forced fumble, two passes defense. That's Roquan Smith. Wow. 22 tackles for loss. 8.5 sacks. Two passes broken up. Two forced fumbles. That's Gennard Avery last year. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he times the blitz really well. Uh, he's, not, he's not perfectly gifted at shedding a block once he gets caught on a blitz. Um, but he does a pretty good job of getting through untouched because he times it up really well. He stumps offensive linemen. 
when they come free and they hit him, they've been hit. Uh, the problem, why I think he might be available, is uh, some coaching points. He, uh, he buries his head and eyes into offensive linemen when he goes to stack and shed them, uh, which is great because he knocks the ever-loving dog piss out of them, but he loses track of the ball carrier sometimes. He's so excited about that thump that, that a running back can go within an arm's length, length past him, and he doesn't pick him up. So uh, I, I like him. I think he's sticky in coverage. I think he offers the ability to change things up quite a bit and make you multiple because you can use him as a blitzer up the middle. You can use him uh, as a blitzer off the edge. Uh, he can thump between the tackles, and he's pretty sticky in coverage. I like it. I like it. And, uh, you know, there's a lot for someone like me who wants Roquan Smith. If, if you do pass on him, there are a lot of linebackers here in the middle rounds. And that's, that's definitely a good one And San Francisco is going to take a linebacker at some point, And it could just be in the third round with a player like that. For me, I had to look at cornerback and this is a position in, in one of you guys touched on, I think it was you, Aaron, where if Richard Sherman is hurt or not himself, who else do you have on the outside? They don't have anybody. And as much as I love Witherspoon, and I'm, I'm a huge Witherspoon fan, I, I thought he played really well last year, but we still don't have a big sample size on him. And right. he can have a sophomore slump. I mean, he's, he's going to have growing pains for sure. So you can't put that much on him where you're, you're going to say, okay, you know, Sherman's going to lock down this side and Witherspoon's going to be fine. There could still be growing pains there. And we don't know about Sherman's foot, if, it's gonna be, if, if his Achilles is going to be completely healthy or not. So the Niners have to address this. And there's a lot of cornerbacks that fit the body type that they're looking for in this draft. And a lot that can be had in the middle rounds. And the one that I went with was uh, Tavares McFadden from Florida State. Mm-hmm. And he's a big guy. He's um, 6'2". So he's a taller, you know, gangly corner. He is good in, in press. He doesn't have the best speed. But one of the things stuck out, that stuck out to me with him in 2016, he had eight interceptions. And the Niners, you know, if, if you look at 2014, they led the NFL with 23 interceptions. They've had 29 since and only 14 by cornerback since then. So they need a big playmaker out there. And I'm just not sold that they have enough at the cornerback position. So even if you take a guy and he sits and he, and he waits a little bit and he learns or whatever, I, I think it's worth it because they're one injury away from having a huge problem out there. I like watching McFadden uh, in college, and I, and and obviously we see a lot of him because of the because of the conference that he plays in. But I think that the the length is the biggest thing, and I talked about that when we first when we were first giving our our first round picks and talking about Denzel Ward and how he doesn't have the necessary length to be able to play in the system. I think that's a big deal to Robert Sala and John Lynch because even when they were in free agency, they weren't they weren't looking at guys that were under six feet tall. The only guy that they really entertained under six feet tall was Kamal Williams, and they resigned him. Otherwise, even Deshaun Shedd, Deshaun Shedd was six foot. He's six foot two. He was the corner from Seattle that that ended up signing elsewhere. But they that they, they were interested in him as as like a back of the roster cornerback. So they have a specific body type that they're looking for. And you know, McFadden is he fits he fits that role. And I think at some point in the middle rounds, they're going to address cornerback because they need an insurance policy on Richard Sherman. And frankly, like there's not much behind. Uh, Sherman and Witherspoon, aside from Jimmy Ward, who's on the last year of his contract. So a succession plan at some point is going to have to be thought of. And you don't have to do that in the first round. Like uh, Witherspoon was a third round pick, right? So you don't really necessarily have to go early. 
But I, I like the idea, Al, of, of cornerbacks being drafted in third round back-to-back years. Yeah, it's it, they just they have to get someone else out there and, and maybe more than one player out there because there's I think they're playing with fire right now with what they have and that could end up being a huge issue, especially since you know you don't know what Sherman's going to bring. Yeah, and I went a little bit away from cornerback. I went a little bit away from the defensive backs, and I'm not addressing them quite yet. I'm with Aaron, so it seems like guys we're we're all on the same page on some way, shape, or form, whether it's like a guard going in the second round or a linebacker, a pass rusher going in the first round or a linebacker in round three. My linebacker is Josie Jewell from Iowa. So he ran a 4.840, plus 40 at the combine, which is pretty slow, but he's a tackling machine. He had 126 tackles in 2015, which led the team. He had 134 tackles as a senior. He had 11 pass breakups. This guy is always around the ball. Think Chris Borland. That's exactly who you reminded me of. When I, when I watched tape of him, I thought of Chris Borland. I was like, and although Chris Borland is only here for a year, that guy was a tackling machine. And I think that Josie Jewell can be that same sort of player. And we talked about when, when Al gave, you gave your pick, we talked about Roquan Smith and how he's a succession plan. I think that Josie Jewell is, is an insurance policy just in case Ruben Foster can't play. And he, he will be suspended for some amount of time. We don't know how long, but if you can draft a rookie and put him in there right away, I feel like Josie Jewell can learn behind Brock Coyle for, for a little bit and you can kind of plug him in after that. But he's one of those guys that is just always around the ball, and he can play Mike linebacker, and you need guys like that that are just always around the ball playing that position. Uh, for sure. I like, I like Jewel a lot. Um, I, was, I was on the fence with, um, with him and a couple other guys. Uh, I also really liked Tigray Scales. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Jewel is like a human vacuum. Uh, what kind of scared me off about him is that it, it looks like speed matters um in the linebacking core this i mean kind of across the field the safeties are fast the uh, linebackers are fast and and i wasn't sure how the 49ers would view his play speed versus his time speed uh but you're absolutely right he has a nose for the football he makes up for his foot speed with tremendous instincts and read and react skills yeah definitely and all right moving on to the fourth round i pulled an aaron erickson and i doubled up here i went with um Corner, another cornerback. I went with Quentin Meeks out of Stanford. We know John Lynch likes the Stanford guys, and obviously, I just listed all the reasons why I'm worried about the cornerback position. And Meeks is another guy, long, six two, two hundred and five pounds. He, he's got good size. He plays big. He's he's actually a coach's son. Right? I believe Ron Meeks is his dad, and um, so he's very technically proficient from being coached at an early age. And he's just another guy that I think you can get out there and. and that is insurance and can eventually play a big role in this defense. Um, I, I definitely like his fit in the scheme. Like we said, the Niners, we, we know what kind of corner they want. They want those long sort of rangy cornerbacks. And I have them getting two in back-to-back rounds here. I really like Quentin Meeks. I think that if there's one player that's almost guaranteed to be on the 49ers. It's Quentin Meeks because not only from a size and strength standpoint, but also the fact that he's from Stanford, like John Lynch just has to go down to the farm to talk to him, scout him. So I think that they would really be able to have a chance to bond just based off of that. And we know how John Lynch likes Stanford guys, obviously with the Solomon Thomas pick last year, but I, I really, really like Quentin Meeks. I liked him coming out of Stanford, obviously locally here in the Bay area. We see a lot of Stanford games. We're able to see him every week um, in the fall. So what he's, I mean, he showed a lot of promise. And as soon as I saw him play, I'm like, man, is this guy draft eligible? Who is he? 
And I started doing some research on him, and I found out that he's he's going to be draft eligible, and and eventually he decl- like he was he was into the into the uh, the the scouting and the, and and the combine, and the more I see of him, the more I want him on the 49ers. So I I really really love that pick. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Meeks fan as well. Um, I uh, I'm going to be talking about him in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um. This is another one of those scenarios where there's there's picks uh, 15 slots apart. Um, the 49ers don't have their fourth-round pick, so we're going to wait 54 selections from their last third-round pick to their fourth-round pick. But then after that, it's their own fifth-round pick, so it's just uh, 15 slots later. So I have, I have a couple guys um, that I've been yo-yoing back and forth between who's the fourth-rounder, who's the who's the fifth rounder and it all just kind of depends on where the run is. Um, so I don't have him as my fourth round pick, but I, I might be giving away my fifth round pick a little bit right now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think, I think he's got plus ball skills. He's got, uh, he's tremendous in run support. Um, he's got, in my mind, he's got a couple things that he's got to work on that, that leave him here. Uh, he uh, occasionally overruns. Uh, his hip-to-hip positioning on the fade, which makes him susceptible to the back shoulder, but he really is a technician. It's 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 interesting that the bad parts, the takeaways, are some footwork things at the break and his susceptibility to double moves, and overall his his poor acceleration. But he's going to be sitting on top of a lot of double moves in this scheme, and he doesn't need as much makeup speed when he's sitting on top in cover three. And uh, he really does take a receiver's space, which um, which a lot of cornerbacks are kind of afraid to do because that, that puts them further out on that island. So a, a college cornerback that doesn't necessarily have years and years of confidence in the role will, will protect themselves from getting beat, and he's not at all afraid to crowd a receiver all the way down the field. And I really like that. I like the confidence. Um, I'd like to see him clean up some of that footwork stuff so he's not as susceptible to double moves but yeah I I think he's available where you're getting him and I think he's a great pick I'll talk more about Quentin Meeks later too (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so for those of you listening that this this has not been like we don't know each other's mock drafts like we this is the first literally the first time we're, we're hearing all of this so um I think it's pretty cool that a lot of us are we're on the same page for a lot of these but my fourth round pick, before we get to the fifth round pick, my fourth round pick is Auden Tate, wide receiver from Florida. And he's he's one of those guys that has elite size. He's six foot five, two twenty-five. His forty time was a bit slow. It was very akin to Devin Funches, kind of that same sort of idea. But um he's one of those guys that has untapped potential. He fights for the ball. He had 10, 10 touchdowns this past year in twelve games. He's a red zone threat, which the 49ers are lacking. And he's a guy with height, a receiver with height, which the 49ers are lacking. Pierre Garcon is the only receiver right now that the 49ers have that's, I believe, above six feet tall. So um, I think that the concern with Tate is is his separation. Like, obviously, he doesn't have that elite speed. Can he separate? Now, to that, I respond and say that when you have Jimmy Garoppolo throwing you the ball, you don't really need that much separation. Like, we saw him throw into really tight windows this year. I'm not encouraging that because some of those passes could be picked off, but 
if need be, Jimmy Garoppolo can fit it into a small space. So it's just a matter of body position, which Tate excels at. Like he's he's a jump ball sort of player, and when you're going into the middle rounds, you can kind of get a guy that specializes in something and not have to worry about really missing out on somebody else. So I think that Tate would be a really good fit in this scheme. Um, well, I didn't select the same player, <laughs> but I went I went I went uh, with a wide receiver who I think can go up and get it. Um, I like Tate a lot. I like the big body. Um, I keep going back to to Kyle Shanahan uh, wanting route runners. Um, and it's tough, it's tough to find guys this late in the draft who are consistently separating on their route running technique and skill. And so I kind of went looking for a guy that I thought might have the athletic traits where he would learn that. If only we could find a head coach who was a college wide receiver and his, who is particularly meticulous about footwork, route depth, and uh, accelerating out of a break. Where can you find a guy like that? I don't know. I mean, who who is that guy? <laughs> yeah, if only we had Kyle Shanahan as head coach. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait. Um, yeah. No, I, I think uh, I think we're we're gonna get someone somewhere in this range. I went with uh, Darius Fountain out of Northwest that's our, Iowa. That's our boy. That's, that's our, our boy. Guy. Yeah. 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 I uh, I was stunned by his 42-and-a-half-inch vertical leap at his pro day. Um, I knew he could get up, but that's just silly. Uh, the guy just straight leg jumped over my five-year-old. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, he's got great ball skills. Um, when he's competing for a 50-50 ball, he does a good job of using his body to shield it. He's not... That great big monster, he's only 6'2". Um, it's only 6'2". But he, he's not one of those great big bodies that are available in this draft. But I think his, his timing on his jump and that crazy vertical um, give him the potential to be that red zone guy. Um, and I love his personality. Um, I haven't had personal contact with him. But uh, reading up on his head coach, following through on that stuff, um, what they say about him at practice reminds me a lot of what they were saying about Reuben Foster at practice coming out. If he's excited about something, everyone's excited about something. His spirit is infectious. He's a, he's a worker. Um, and he's just, he's been drinking that freak juice. I mean, uh, 4440, 134 inch broad jump. <laughs> mm-hmm. he's, he's a freak. And I think he's somebody who has the athletic traits that he could learn how to be a better route runner. Um, when you go to these smaller schools, you don't know exactly what they've gotten. So hopefully he's somebody that you, you've seen his workouts and you can project a little bit that maybe he can develop the skill set. Um, at the East-West Shrine game, he pulled down offensive MVP, but then he didn't get a combine invite. Um, a couple receivers went down at the Senior Bowl. He didn't get an invite to replace them. They brought in some other guys to do that. Um, I think he's going to have a giant chip on his shoulder, and I think he's working right now. You know, it's funny you say about his personality. He was he is completely infectious, and he was one of the nicest people I I think I've I've ever ever interviewed. He was just as nice off you know off camera or off the line or whatever as he as he was when we were talking to him. Humble kid, 
wants to work hard. You know, this is his dream. He seemed kind of taken aback by all the attention that he was getting right away, but knew that he just had to work harder. He he's I I don't know that I'm going to be rooting for anyone more than him when the draft comes around. He's he's absolutely fantastic. He really is just a great kid, a great kid. And it, it's funny you guys are talking receivers. Is, is I go into my fifth round pick here, and I'm, I'm going to throw you throw out some numbers at you guys. So I've said these on the show before a couple of times, but Marquise Goodwin and Pierre Garcon in their last 99 games combined have 20 touchdown catches. Last season, wide receivers and tight ends. Garrett Selleck had four touchdown catches. Goodwin had two. Taylor had two. Robinson had two. Kittle had two. Murphy had two. And we're talking a lot about what Jimmy Garoppolo can do. And, you know, I, I love Jimmy Garoppolo, but we do need a big target for him. You know, the one thing that they didn't do last year was finish drives, and, and and they may do that this year as he gets more time in the system, but they do really need that big body. And I went over a few names here, and Darius was one of the ones that I wanted to pick, but him being on the show, I didn't want it to seem like, oh, yeah, he picked him because he was on the show. Another guy I looked at was uh, Marcel Aitman um, mm-hmm. from Oklahoma State, but he he's not a great route runner. He's got the size, and but I thought with Shanahan, you know, his his routes would be an issue. So, Zane, can you take a guess at the receiver I picked? Since we're all on the same page with all this stuff, oh, uh, you pick? Did you pick Auden Tate? Auden Tate, man, yeah. Nah. Cause, cause why not? <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, we That's hilarious. We spent too much time together, I think. But yeah, I picked him for the same reason you did. You know, he's got the ten receiving touchdowns. He's he's six five two twenty eight. He's he's that big body, and you know, Kyle Shanahan kind of has the sort of receivers that he likes, and he certainly knows what he's doing. But I just can't stop thinking they just need somebody like that, just some kind of threat that you can do the jump balls or whatever it is with. I mean, listen, other than a few good years from Vernon Davis, they haven't had a big-time receiver catching touchdowns since, since T.O. You know, it just hasn't happened. So I, I don't know that Tate is the answer, but he's certainly somebody with upside that's a big body that you can bring in and and maybe scare the defenses a little bit in the red zone, which is which is what they need, I believe. So I was reading a stat just today, actually, on Twitter, and uh, it, it read that a Kyle Shanahan coach team has never drafted a receiver earlier than the third round while he's been the coach there, whether it's a coordinator or head coach or whatever. Like he's, yeah, I saw that. Yep. yep. He's never had a, a, a really high dra- highly drafted receiver, which in my mind er- takes earlier guys like Cortland Sutton and uh, the kid from Alabama out, out of there, uh, uh, Calvin Ridley. Uh, so I think that this is the sweet spot for receivers. I think that I, I loved Reese Fountain, by the way. Like I thought that he was an awesome guy, awesome guy to talk to, awesome interview, like just an infectious personality. And I actually had the 49ers picking him as, as an undrafted free agent. Um, I think that he got an absolutely, absolutely snubbed uh, at the combine. He should have been there, should have been at the senior bowl and ripped it up when he had a chance when in the East West shrine game. So I think that he's one of those guys that is going to fly under the radar in like two or three years, you're going to be like, wow, I can't believe everybody passed on that guy. So I'm hoping the 49ers, at the very least, if they don't draft him, that they're on the phone with him as soon as the draft ends and they pick him. But I, I, I just love Tate's size. I just love that. Like Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, they weren't impressed with anything in free agency. That's why they didn't really sign anybody. Pierre Garçon's coming back. It's almost like you're getting like a free agent coming back. Even though he's already with the 49ers, he wasn't... He, played like half the season, right? So it's almost like you're getting a new receiver to work with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think they realize that. But this is one of those guys you're kind of getting in the area of the draft where you can, like I said, you can specialize. And he's he's a jump ball guy in the red zone. That's exactly what they're missing. A go-to guy that right. can just box out like a basketball player. And, and let's not forget uh, Kendrick Bourne due to the now defunct rule on college graduation dates. 
um, didn't really have an off season mm-hmm. and they're pretty excited about him. So, I mean, whoever they get, he's going to have time to learn. All right, Aaron, who's your, uh, who's your fifth round pick? I, I have a well, feeling I know who this is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might've spoiled this earlier. Again, uh, this fifth round pick could be the fourth round pick. It just depends how the run is going. Um, I, I just thought uh, Fountain is getting uh, some, some kind of grassroots support and uh, he, he's heating up a little bit. I've seen, I've seen some guys listing him as possibly their seventh receiver off the board, which is nuts considering the path he's had to the draft. Um, but if there's a big run on corners and not so much on receivers, then this guy would go up to the, to the fourth round. And uh, that's our guy, Quentin Meeks. Uh, I think he's available here. I think teams are going to see uh, some poor acceleration and make-up speed on film, and they're going to see that 4.23 short shuttle that he ran uh, that sort of confirms that, that he he can run, but he can't necessarily stop, start, stop, start. Um, I don't think the 49ers will be scared off by that. Uh, they went ahead and picked up Richard Sherman, and the real, the only one real weakness in his game seems to be that lateral stop-start. Um, we've seen guys like T.Y. Hilton kind of eat him up on a double move every once in a while, um, but I don't think I don't think that's something they're super concerned about in this scheme with uh, a single high safety sitting over the top cleaning up all the mess. So I think I think he's a great pick for them. But I think he will be available at either 128 or 143. I have him here at 143. Quentin Meeks is my pick too. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get that out of the way. Like I think that I think that he's great value at this at this pick here in the fifth round because of those things that you just mentioned, right? Like the lateral movement and and the fact that uh, he does have some questions playing hip to hip. But the benefit of having a Richard Sherman is that you've got a guy who has mastered being tall and being lean and long. And not like not having elite speed, but still being able to get it done. And you've got another guy, now Killer Weatherspoon, out there who's who has very similar measurables. So now you're kind of building your corner group to all have the same sort of measurables, which is a good thing to me because then they can all learn from each other. And I think that that the whole idea behind this uh, this height and length issue that Robert Sala and and John Lynch like is that if one of these guys go down, goes down, there's a replaceable part, right? We don't know what Richard Sherman's going to have after his Achilles injury, and he's only on a three-year contract. We don't know how Killer Witherspoon is going to perform in a full year. He only played about half the year last year because he was inactive for the first half. So getting a guy like Quentin Meeks gives them the ability to run the same scheme because he's got the same measurables. So he's, he's my pick as well in the fifth round. Yeah, and, and you, you talked about the relation to Richard Sherman. It's, it's silly. Both ran a four five forty. Uh Sherman had sixteen reps on the bench. Uh Meeks had fifteen. Sherman touched thirty eight inches in the vert. Meeks touched thirty nine. Sherman jumped one twenty five in the broad. Meeks one twenty eight. They both had about the same three cones, six seven and six eight. They both had uh a slow short shuttle. Sherman's was actually slower at a four point three three, but it works. But that vert and that length are what's going to allow him to be so good in this scheme. Uh, the same way Richard Sherman is going to coach him up and say, hey, 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 don't get in front of the hip. Tuck yourself in his back pocket because we're tall enough, we're long enough, and we can jump well enough that if we're just behind him and they throw the front shoulder fade, we can elevate to it. 
But if we're already in that back pocket and they decide to test us with the back shoulder fade, we got the inside track to it. And that's, I mean, how many Richard Sherman's interceptions were saying, go ahead, throw it. Mm -hmm. I'll sit right here in his hip. You go ahead and you throw it. And I think when Meeks gets that coaching up from Sherman, I'm saying when, not if. When he gets that coaching up from Sherman, I think he's he's going to be a beast in this team. It just makes too much sense. It makes too much sense for for it not to happen. Like basically, you've got the Richard Sherman of measurables in Quentin Meeks. I'm not saying in in resume. I'm saying in measurables, they're the right. they're almost the same player. So it's just John Lynch is from Stanford. Richard Sherman is from Stanford. They've got the same measurables. They've got to get cornered. Make it happen. Just do it. Right. I think we need to check his transcripts. Because uh, there was that fun story about uh, John Lynch going back to finish his degree because his mm-hmm. kid was uh, giving him a hard time. Yeah. And uh, his classmate was Solomon Thomas. Mm-hmm. So we need to find out if he took any classes with Quentin Meeks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree with you guys. I think um, that makes a lot of sense. Meeks to the Niners makes a lot of sense. I just wonder with him, too, you know, I've seen some places where he could go pretty high you know, third round and I've seen him going as low as the fifth. So you have to wonder sort of how other teams view him and where he's going to fall and, and where the Niners have him. But they're taking, if they don't take a corner and with their first pick, which I'm not so sure that they are, they're taking one of these long corners in, in the mid rounds. It's just a matter of who it's going to be, you know, whether it's the guys that we mentioned or like a Holton Hill or, or somebody like that. Um, I think that's his name. Um, but there's there's so many corners like that um, in, in the mid-rounds. Uh, Tolliver is another one that they can maybe take a look at. So it'll be interesting to see. But they went, took a tight end out for dinner recently from Kansas by the name of Ben Johnson. Did you guys see this? I heard about that, yep. Okay, so Ben Johnson is his tight end from Kansas. And when I looked him up initially, I couldn't even find anything on him. He's just, a, you know, an, an undrafted free agent, but then started to do a little bit more digging and people are saying, well, you know, this guy didn't do much in college, but he's got a lot of upside in the right system. He could be a nice player. So I went and looked at it and his senior year, Johnson caught 30 balls for 363 yards and, and a touchdown and went back and I was like, well, that kind of sounds familiar. And George Kittle, <laughs> if you look at his last two years in college, Kittle caught 20 balls for 290 yards, 22 balls for 314 yards. So here we have another tight end who has this ability in the right system, but played in a college system that didn't really get him the ball. And I was like, wow, (laughs) this sounds familiar. And I just thought, again, another thing that made a lot of sense when you look at the 49ers, what they've done in the past. And in my six round pick, I I, I took Ben Johnson, the tight end. And he just seemed like another, another George Kittle type to me where Kyle Shanahan sees what he could be in his offense. And I'm not saying he's going to up on Kittle. I, you know, Kittle had a really good rookie season. Um, But, you know, for some depth there, I don't know what, Garrett Selk's future is on this team, how much longer he's going to be there. And Hikatini's more of a move guy. And, and Ben Johnson could be another nice second tight end for the Niners. And I, I thought he'd be a good pick for them in the sixth round. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think they can bounce uh, Hikatini off the roster, though. You can't, you can't get rid of the nickname Dirty Teeny. Um, <laughs> it's just too much fun. But yeah, I mean, you, you watch Ben Johnson, it's the same, the same type of thing in the in the passing game he doesn't get used a lot but he's got sticky hands and he gets vertical right after the catch um he's he's i I don't think he's 
the blocker that Kittle was. I mean, if you if you watch Kittle's college highlights, he's he's still getting that NFL strength. But if you watch his college highlights, what he where he would just drive someone into the ground, and the guy's on the ground, and and Kittle's feet are still going. Um, that's that's something special. That's something different. I, I don't think Johnson's that guy, but he is an inline guy, and he does and he does work at he does he does work on the block. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's a I think that's a great pick that I never would have made. <laughs> that's, that's a that's a great call. Good digging. Yeah, I think that the 49ers at this point, they realize the importance of that tight end position as a receiver and as an outlet. And I think that they'll probably end up drafting tight ends every year until one of them sticks. And I think that that's not a bad way to go, especially if you're drafting them in the middle rounds. If you can find guys that, again, we're talking about guys that specialize in things now. You're, you're, you're not talking about guys that are necessarily ready to start in the middle rounds. These are guys that could be like a project or a guy that could, that could be a situational player or a special teams player or a red zone threat or a guy that doesn't get full-time snaps uh, until they are developed to the point where they can start if that's, if that's what's meant to be for them. And I think that Johnson is one of those guys that he, he is a threat. He can catch touchdowns in the red zone. He is exactly what the 49ers need. So I'm, I'm surprised now. I, I actually never, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think much of that at all, but I guess, you know, that now that hearing you say, actually say it and verbalize it, I think it's a really good fit. Yeah, just as soon as I heard it, I'm like, oh man, this just sounds like, you know, George Kittle 2.0 in terms of the approach and in terms of the type of play that they're looking at. Someone who, you know, like I said, didn't show too much stats wise, but, but could and, but could with Shanahan. So, you know, maybe he doesn't even get drafted. Maybe it's an undrafted free agent type thing, but I, I, I thought he'd be a nice fit for them. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think Shanahan misses many tricks and, the the leverage you have on a defense if you have two tight ends who can block and who are dangerous down the field and he really actually is dangerous down the field um he he gets vertical in a hurry and he looks fast i have no idea what his time speed was but he gets the ball and he gets straight up the field and he's he's not easy to run down um i don't know i don't know that he's going to be an inline blocker in the nfl uh right away it might be a year or two but just putting him out as a slot and saying, "Are you going to treat me like? Are you going to treat me like a receiver? Because then I'm going to bury your nickelback. Mm-hmm. Or are you going to treat me like like an inline tight end and walk a linebacker out on me and I'll just outrun him? So I, I think I think Kyle's well aware of what he could do with two dangerous tight ends, and it'd be interesting to see that if he does, in fact go in this direction or someone like him like all the stuff we're going to see they will thrive off of mismatches the Kyle Shanahan offense they will thrive off of guys that can beat you in multiple ways and I think that that's where you will see them trying to attack teams like the Rams who have beefed up their defensive line with Aaron Donald obviously already being there and and Dominican Sue coming in this year and having Marcus Peters and Akib Tlaib on the outside they're going to have to beat the linebackers for the Rams. So the linebackers are, are it's, it's a really bad group. And I'm just using the Rams as an example, but this is what the 49ers are going to do. This is why they got guys like Jarek McKinnon and Matt Burita, because they can do multiple things. And I think that that rings true for all of the weapons on the offense. They don't want them to just be like a one trick pony. They want them to do multiple things. And Kyle Shanahan mentioned that about his receivers. And I believe the same about the tight ends that they just don't want like a big guy or a fast guy. They want some guy, they want a guy that can do a lot of things or multiple things. And, and Johnson kind of fits that mold. 
No, he definitely does. I mean, you'll, you'll see him out. At, he'll, he'll be in line every once in a while, but you'll see him line up at fullback. You'll see him in the slot. Um, he's a, he's a pretty interesting guy that he's, he's got that height you want in a red zone threat, but he'll, he'll put his nose in there. So yeah, I, I, I think it'd be pretty cool to see what Kyle could do with both of them on the field at the same time. All right, Aaron. So sixth round here, who you got? Um, well, what I learned growing up is that, uh, cool kids double down on cornerback. <laughs> um, so at uh, 184, I've got Saran Neal from Jacksonville State. He's a cornerback and a safety. He's got experience playing both in games. Uh, I like him at safety. He doesn't quite fit the length profile. He's got just over 31-inch arms. Uh, and usually in this scheme, you kind of look for 32-inch arms. Um, I like that at the bottom of the roster, he gives you depth. Um, at a few positions, I think he could play free and strong safety. I think um, he doesn't quite have the range to be a perfect single high safety, but in an emergency, he's got experience doing it. He can get in there. Um, but same type of thing, 40-inch vertical, 122-inch broad jump. Um, and the, uh, he's got a slow three-cone uh, at seven seconds flat, which would make him a bad defensive end. Uh, but again, the same thing, that's, that's change of direction. And in this scheme, sitting over the top of that, that's something that can be comp- compensated for. But he is tough. He's a tough kid. He sticks his nose in there. He's competitive. He's great in run support. And he absolutely bullies wide receivers up and down the field. Like we talked about with Meeks, he takes up their space. Um, and, and Neil does the same thing. He was pretty impressive uh, working the postseason circuit. Um, he, I expected him to get beat up in the one-on-one drills and he didn't, he, he held his own pretty well. He was very physical at the line of scrimmage and I think he's a worthwhile project. Um, if for whatever reason Meeks falters in this scheme, I think, uh, you have a little bit of insurance for that. I really like the idea of having guys that are, that are versatile towards the back of the draft, because at that point you're not necessarily like. Here's here's my here's my thought on versatility, and you may disagree with this or agree with it, but I'm less interested in guys that can play multiple positions earlier in the draft. I just want a guy that can play one position really well. Like, don't give me a guy that can be like, oh, well, he can be a kicker and a punter and a safety and a DN. Like, no, I I want you to be able to be the best defensive end in football. I want you to be able to be the best safety in football. I don't care about the other positions that you can play if you're in the first first few rounds. But when you're getting into the back of the draft, like I feel like guys, guys at that point, they're more willing to move around and, and more willing to change positions and things like that. And I really like the idea of drafting a guy that can play multiple positions in the, at, the end of the, at the end of the draft because then these guys can be roster fillers for guys that get hurt. You can stash them on the practice squad. You can do a lot of things with these guys and, and build up their skills for whatever position they're, they're most strong at. So I, I, I like the pick. So my six-round pick is Byron Pringle, the wide receiver out of Kansas State. Now, he recently recently met with the 49ers, and I'm not saying that 49ers are going to pick whoever they meet with because that's not the case. Every year we hear about guys that they don't necessarily meet with, and, and they were on the radar, and they, and they get picked. But this is one of those, one of those things where Pringle is, is a versatile wide receiver. He's able to return kicks. He's able to play receiver play on the outside, play special teams. He's one of those guys that manned up like a practice squad guy to start. 
but he has he has some elite traits. Like he's got pretty good speed. He's six two, two oh five, ran a four four six forty. He averaged twenty four point one yards of reception this past year, which is ridiculous. And that's those things you have to look for guys with superlatives at the end of at the end of the draft, either the fastest of his class or averages more than 20 yards per reception or had 10 sacks in a senior year, things like that. I feel like if you can find a guy like that at the end of the draft, those guys are more likely to succeed because you can build off of that one skill that they're elite on elite at. So Byron Pringle is one of those guys that he's got that elite sort of ability to get down the field and, and take big chunks of yardage. And he's one of those guys that's not unlike Marquise Goodwin. Marquise Goodwin was at the, near the top of the league. This past year, he averaged over 17 yards a catch. So I think if you add more of those guys on your team, again, replaceable parts, right? Guys like injuries happen, guys move on via free agency. If you've got more guys that fit the system coming coming down the pipe, then you can replace that and replenish your roster a lot quicker, and that keeps you competitive for longer. Yeah, definitely for sure. And as as we're going into some of these late picks here, you know, we just it's almost like throwing darts at a board, but when you think of how well the Niners did late last year in the draft, getting Kittle, getting Trent Taylor, DJ Jones, who looks like he's going to be a nice depth piece, uh, Peter Tamapeno, who's still developing, and of course, Adrian Colbert in the seventh round. These picks are important. So, you know, for us, we're kind of like trying to find guys that we think are going to fit, but for them, they I'm sure they have a plan of people they, they think can make an impact here. So my mm-hmm. seventh round picks, I don't know how much of an impact they're going to make. I, I just tried to find guys who I thought would help or, or be depth for the team at, at this point. And, and the first person I went with in the seventh round, and I guess I'll, I'll just give you both of them. Garrett Dooley um, out of Wisconsin was the first person that I went with. And I think he could probably play strong side linebacker for the Niners. Uh, he started two years at college. He had 17 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks. I see him as a depth um, pick as somebody who can maybe play special teams for them. And, and who knows, maybe they're onto something with him. The second pick that I made, I wanted to pick a running back in this draft. And I do think the Niners will take one late. And I wanted to find an obscure guy because you know, they're going to take some random dude, <laughs> you know, that Shanahan set his <laughs> eye on. Um, but I went with uh, Gus Edwards from Rutgers. One of the reasons I did was he's a big back. He's six one two thirty five, And that's sort of what they're missing in this offense. You know, they don't really have a, a big back like that. And, he was pretty effective on um, outside zone runs and he put up good numbers at Rutgers. He played for Miami actually for four years and then uh, transferred to Rutgers and he uh, gained 1,713 yards on 164 carries last year. So he's just a guy I thought maybe towards the end of the draft, um, his size, his athleticism, um, big body that make they could maybe use in, in short yarded situations. So those are my two seventh round picks that I think, you know, more than anything gives the team maybe a little depth and you hope that there's some upside there. I don't know who those guys are. Yeah, I don't really even know either. <laughs> you get into the seventh round, it's like, it's because I'm, you know, listen, I'm more of an NFL guy. If I watched any more football, I'd get divorced. So, like, I got, <laughs> you know, with, with college, I got to kind of watch it. So, when it comes to the draft, like, it's, it's a crash course for me. And it's easy for the first few rounds. But when you get into the sixth and seventh round, man, I'm sorry. It's tough, <laughs> you know? So, um, sure. I, th- I, I think that says it all nice. And we'll see what happens. All right, so I'll give my seventh round picks. The, I'll give them both as well. So, and you can interchange these because, like you said, Al, this is literally just like a crapshoot at this point. I mean, the whole draft is a crapshoot, but like the end of it is even more so because at this right. point, they may get a guy like who has a really good story and just want to get him into camp and be like, "Oh, hey, here's a here's an NFL training camp. You overcame a lot, and here's you know what I mean. Like you don't really yep. know what the 
what the rationale is, but the the couple of guys that I have the 49ers picking, I can see I can see them both fitting in. And the reason why is, is again scheme. And the first seventh round pick that I have is Holton Hill, cornerback from Texas. You mentioned him a little bit earlier. So he's 6'3", 200 pounds, ran a 4'4", 940. Again, very similar measurables to Quentin Meeks and Richard Sherman. Uh, he was suspended in 2017 for a violation of team rules. So he's, it's another one of those scenarios where Ruben Foster sort of thing, where like, all right, well, he's got some off-the-field issues, but is he worth the risk? And I think in the seventh round, a guy like that is worth the risk. If you cut him, big deal. It's a seventh round pick. You're not really counting on him for anything. But again, as I said earlier, once you is- assemble the same sort of body type in a, in a position group, you can run the same scheme regardless of who's in and out of there. And you can run the same scheme regardless of injuries and things like that. So the more big guys, athletic corners that they have on the team, the second seventh round pick, Alas and, and, and Aaron, is another guy that you're going to enjoy saying his name. It's Foye Olukan, and he's, a line, he's one of those uh, in-the-box safeties from Yale. He's 6'2", 225, and he was second on the team with 50 tackles and uh, obviously off the charts intelligent, went to Yale, right? So um, he ran a 4.48.40 at his pro day. There are actually 20 different NFL teams at his pro day. He didn't get a combine invite, didn't play in any of the bowl games in the Senior Bowl um, or or the Shrine game or anything like that. He was kind of just like an under-the-radar guy, much like Therese Fountain, but he is one of those guys that's super athletic. He can play both in the box as a, as a strong safety or up over top. He doesn't have free safety speed, but he does have that versatility to play that role, that Cam Chancellor kind of role that the 49ers need. He had a 37-inch vertical, which would have been set sixth amongst linebackers of the combine. He had a 20-yard shuttle of 4.12 seconds, which would have been second at the combine in line, uh, amongst linebackers to, to Dorian O'Daniel's 4.07. And he had a broad jump of 10, 10 feet, three inches, which would have been fourth at the combine. So he's got those elite athletic traits. He just, he was just coming from a school that's not known as a football powerhouse. So I think that, that these two guys, they both may seem kind of random, but, uh, they both fit the scheme. And it's worth noting that Olukon actually visited with the 49ers too. So he's been one of the few draft visits that they've had. All right, Aaron, finish this off here. Who do you got for your last two? Okay. Uh, I, uh, I went with Mark Thompson out of Florida. Uh, he's a 6'2", 236-pound running back who ran his 40 in a time that was reported as low as 4.38 seconds. He's got a 10-foot broad jump. Uh, he's a JUCO transfer, and that's why he didn't get a lot of carries. He didn't get a lot of, he didn't get a lot of noise while he was there, but watching him play is a ton of fun. Um, the first tackler is in trouble pretty much every time, but he's got soft hands. He's got acceleration. He's coming out of a, a zone scheme, so we already know he can put his foot in the ground and make that one cut. He's got more than enough speed to get to the edge. And in 2016, he took a swing pass for a 80-yard uh, house call that was a lot of fun to watch. He also returns kicks. Uh, I remember when the 49ers had Delaney Walker returning kicks and just laughing at 240 pounds sitting back there at that depth, getting up to full speed and thinking about some poor cornerback having to tackle. And uh, this guy's got that, plus he runs behind his pads. So they're looking for that big back. Uh, here's a guy who might not be drafted, and I would throw, uh, throw a flyer on him here in the seventh round just to get him into camp, just to make sure that you're not 
you're not having to make a pitch for his services. You lock him up, you get him in there, and you have a big back that, that could be something more. Uh, my second one is Brett Toth out of Army. I love this guy. I love this guy. He's a former tight end who converted to tackle. That should remind us of someone. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a great zone blocker. He engages at second level at will. Um, they actually moved him uh, from right tackle to left tackle to guard to wherever they wanted to run the ball because they didn't have to worry about pass protection because Army threw the ball about five times per game. Um, and that's the rub. That's why he's down here. Um, they didn't throw the ball a lot, so he has to learn how to pass block. But I actually spoke with one of his coaches from the East-West Shrine game, and they said he was the most fun to teach pass protection to because he didn't have any bad habits to unlearn. So wow, he was a blank cat canvas, and he was a great learner. He, he's a project, but we have tackles this year. And so he's someone who can develop. The only real concern I have about him He's, I mean, he's got to gain some weight for sure because he's like like six six, and maybe three hundred pounds. But um, my one concern is he is at a military academy, which means um, that he would have a commitment after he graduates to the military for what amounts to a couple of years, I think, for the uh, for the athletes who who play for them uh in in the last several years there was some uh there was some policy that allowed players who get drafted the nfl and make the team to convert their service to recruiting which is obviously pretty smart because if you have an nfl player who's recruiting for you you're trading in one soldier for hundreds because who who doesn't want to say they signed their contract with an nfl player um but that policy, I believe, has been reversed um, in the last year or so. So that might not that might not work out. But in about two years, it's probably when the 49ers are going to be in dire need of a new tackle. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and in the seventh round, why not take a flyer on somebody like that for sure? Aaron, let me tell you what, buddy, you killed it today. You did really well, man. Yeah, you did. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. Why don't you? Uh, um, t- I, t- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say I, I apologize for uh, talking over you guys a couple times. I got a little excited and wanted to jump in. <laughs> Dude, oh, it's man. all good. We, we do it all the time as we go along. Yeah, don't yeah, worry about it. We do it all the time, and it's like when you have a three-headed monster, then it's 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 harder. The more people you add to this, it's harder. You should you should hear me and Al off the air. It's like neither of us can get a word in. <laughs> yes, yeah, constantly talking over each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's all good, dude. You killed it, man. Why don't you um, tell everybody where they could find you on Twitter? At EricksonAaron44. That's Aaron with two A's, right? Yes, sir. All right. Dan, you got anything else, buddy? Or can, can, we, can we end this before we start rambling? Yeah, I just want to thank everybody for listening. A little bit of an extended show today. Uh, it's the draft special. We're super excited about it. Um, you know, it's the first time that we've done this with three people. So, uh, you know, thank, thank you all for, for listening. And thank you guys for the support. Um, I just want to say that the 49ers, uh, you know, there are a lot of ways that they can go to improve this team. And 
when when we see mock drafts and things like that, like we're not ex- we're not experts, right? We just look at what we see from the team and what what we hear from the media and the tape that we watch. Like we're not scouts. We don't break down film for a living. But the the picks that we put out there are basically like we we try to research them as as much as we can. Like you'll see mock drafts out there that they'll just mock a guy to the 49ers that you're like, there's no way in hell that the 49ers are going to pick that guy because there's that's not a need. So we're trying to to pay attention to what the team needs and pay attention to what the team will need in the future and try to put a mock draft together that actually works. Like this isn't something that we we put together last night. This is literally something that we've been researching, we put time into. So, you know, just want to thank everybody for the support. In our next show, we'll probably, unless something big happens, be right after the drafts, probably early that week following the draft. And it's going to be Zane and I and whatever guests we have on at the time. And also our buddy Dylan DeSimone, um, like I mentioned earlier, is going to help us review all the picks. And we're really going to break it down and see where everybody fits and, and where they're going to go from here and, and sort of look forward to the upcoming offseason. So we'll, that's going to be a lot of fun. And until then, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Peace.